0: You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. So many cardiac marker tests out there, but which one to choose? The plaque test is certainly the new kid on the block, but is it here to stay? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Dr. Rick Landman, Chief Medical Officer of Diadexis, Inc., a privately held biotechnology company focused on the discovery, development, and commercialization of innovative Patent-protected diagnostic products with high clinical value. Welcome to the show, Dr. Landman. Thank you, Dr. Kaskill. I'm just delighted you invited me to participate. Dr. Landman, uh, there's been a lot of talk and buzz about plaque and the plaque test in the journals, and I was wondering if you could just tell our listeners who don't know much about it what exactly LP plaque is and uh, what it does.
1: Well, LPPLA2 is an enzyme in the blood that's manufactured in rupture-prone plaques. So for the first time, I would argue we we have a simple non-invasive biomarker that tells us whose plaques have progressed to the point where your plaques are at risk of rupturing.
0: So kind of like a virtual biopsy of the vasculature. Indeed. It's not produced in the liver like other
1: inflammatory markers because it's produced in the artery wall. It's very specific for plaques so it doesn't get elevated if you have arthritis or lupus or...
0: So why should anybody out there be using CRP if it's so nonspecific and, is, and there's so much variability?
1: Interesting question. CRP is really a marker of systemic inflammation. LPPLA2 is a marker of vascular inflammation. I won't totally bash CRP because even though there's a lot of false positives, if I lift weights, my CRP goes up, but my arteries are actually in pretty good shape. Every study we've done that looked at both markers showed that they were additive to one another in terms of risk prediction.
0: So there's a lot of markers out there. There's CRP, there's fibrinogen, insulin, TNF, MMP. What does plaque add in addition to that, and how can it help a physician kind of clarify or make their decisions a little more sharp?
1: Sure. CRPs had the most literature around it, but beginning in 2000 in the New England Journal of Medicine, the first LP PLA2 paper came out. Now there's over 100 papers. What's unique about LPPLA-2 is, again, its vascular specificity. It's unrelated to rheumatologic disorders or infections. It's also the only blood test that has an FDA indication to predict your risk of stroke. It's FDA cleared as an aid in prediction of MI, but it's the only
0: biomarker that's indicated to help predict
1: risk of stroke.
0: There's no other biomarkers out there that have that? They don't have the FDA clearance,
1: and some of the literature is conflicting. But mainly I'm, I'm talking about how is this marker additive to LDL, which does not predict stroke. So here we have the third biggest killer. We tend to look at people's cholesterol, and we don't engage in the discussion of stroke, which is, of course, preventable.
0: Uh, If you ask patients, what are they most scared of having? Is it a stroke? Is it an MI? Or is it public speaking?
1: It would be Alzheimer's dementia first. Stroke would be second. And then it's about 10 different forms of cancer, and only finally myocardial infarction. People aren't afraid of heart attack. Many people have been repaired, thanks to angioplasty and stent. But stroke scares people because of all the disability that's related to it. So it's a good coronary event risk predictor, but the stroke indication really adds something different that LDL doesn't get you. LDL also doesn't tell you when you finish the job. And what I mean by that is I treat patients very aggressively, get their LDLs down to 70 or lower. But if you look at the PROVE IT study, they achieve an LDL of 62, but 22% of those people have another event in just two years. So with LDL, I don't know when the plaque is stabilized. In contract, there's now four studies with LPPLA-2. When you get people into the bottom tertile that is below about 200 for their LPPLA-2, 95% of those people stay stable. So as you say, it's, it's almost like you could take another little biopsy to see if all your your treatment interventions have finally stabilized the plaque.
0: So, Rick, let's say I am aggressively treating a patient with known coronary artery disease, and I do have their LDL well-controlled. They're on aspirin, they're on an ACE inhibitor, they're on fish oil, and I do a plaque test on them, and it comes out to 250. What do I do then? Do I panic, do I call the cardiologist, or, or is there something else I can do to lower their plaque?
1: Well, I wouldn't panic. I was very excited to read the COURAGE trial. Where they compared angioplasty and stent, as you know, to angioplasty, stent, and optimal medical treatment. When I looked at what the medical treatment was, half those people were on combination anti lipid therapy. So I'm a big statin plus niacin, statin plus omega 3, or all three combination therapy person. I think LPPLA2 should prompt you to not tolerate a borderline HDL, not to tolerate small LDL particles, uh, or LP little a, but to get. It'd be one more thing to get, make me more aggressive and tell the patient it's time for, for niacin.
0: What kind of equipment does does a doc need? Does he need something special in his office to order this test, or is it a send-out?
1: It's a blood test that can get at any Quest or LabCorp service center. A lot of the hospital labs send it out to Mayo. Several of the university labs have now brought this test in-house. But doctors can't run it in their office yet. Probably they will in six to 12 months,
0: though. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. I'm talking today with Dr. Rick Landman. Rick is the chief medical officer of Diadexis, Inc., a biotech company, and we're talking about the LP plaque test. Rick, you mentioned earlier that the plaque test can help a doc evaluate the patient's drug regime. Is there a specific drug regime? I know you mentioned adding niacin or fish oil. Is there one that is really good at, at lowering LP plaque?
1: What's been striking in the last year, a paper by Richard Karras and Jeff Coven from Tufts, where they took people with stable coronary disease, very aggressively treated. Their LDL at baselines in the, in the mid-70s, they add a gram of niacin, and the LDL doesn't change, but the LPPLA-2 drops another 20% after three months on the one gram of niacin. This suggests that there's still room to stabilize plaques even when you have LDLs in the 70s. And I've always been impressed by these findings from Dr. Greg Brown at University of Washington where they they use actually low-dose statin and and niacin in the HATS trial, and they get these incredible 90% relative risk reductions versus the typical sort of one-third relative risk reductions we see with statins alone. So any lipid-modifying medicine that stabilizes your plaques will lead to less LPPLA-2 making it out into your blood, and it, it looks like the in combination is a real winner. Now the, the people at Reliant have also done a study, Combos, where they drove the LDL into the 80s with simbastatin, then they add omega-3 fatty acids, omicor. This also led to an additional drop in the LPPLA-2 of almost 15%. So the statins are, are the first line. But if this marker's up and you think you've done everything according to the guidelines and this, this marker for vulnerable plaque is still elevated, think about
0: adding and or omega-3s. It's kind of a, a wake-up call for a physician if they do this test and it's elevated. It's a chance to kind of review the patient's care and say, you know what? I'm missing something here. I haven't really maximized out their medical therapy. There's something else I can be doing. Absolutely.
1: And I also use it the way I used to use CRP, which was to scare people to get them to do what they're supposed to do, buy their pedometer, quit smoking, take their medicine, etc.
0: Does smoking affect the test at all? It's actually independent of all
1: traditional risk factors, even smoking, so that it adds to your smoking risk. It adds to your blood pressure risk. In the atherosclerosis risk in communities trial of middle-aged people, a third of people that stroke now are middle-aged. It wasn't true when I got out of medical school. They were elderly. Now a third of them are middle-aged. In this ERIC study, atherosclerosis risk in communities, if, if you were prehypertensive or worse, and your LPPLA-2 is above the median Your risk for stroke was almost sevenfold in a middle-aged person.
0: It's something you don't hear every day, that uh, people our age are at risk for stroke. I'd like to, you know, without we we don't have the ability to show cool videos on the radio, but is there a way you can kind of simply take us through the science and the physiology of how LPPLA-2 works? So this is an enzyme.
1: LPPLA-2 stands for lipoprotein-associated phospholipase A2. This enzyme's job is to break down an oxidized LDL particle. So let's start about it. It's made by macrophages and hot plaques. When those plaques mature and the fibrous cap thins, the PLA2 leaks into the blood where we can measure it. When it gets into your blood, it'll bind to your lipoproteins, your HDLs and your LDLs, also your VLDLs. But since we're high LDL animals, most of it will be bound to our LDL. Then it'll come back into your artery wall, carried by an LDL, hence the term lipoprotein-associated. Probably the smaller LDLs are more likely to get back into your artery walls, carrying the PLA2. Only about one out of 500 LDL particles carries a PLA2. So just because you changed the LDL doesn't mean you know if you've changed the PLA2. But when this enzyme gets in your artery wall and is confronted with an oxidized LDL particle, it breaks it down. And those breakdown products trigger the inflammation cascade. So if you stain somebody's coronary artery plaque after sudden death at autopsy the advanced plaques will just light up for this marker it's in the plaque it's made in the plaque and it's in the causal pathway of the inflammation cascade when you block it and GlaxoSmithKline has an inhibitor it's very interesting these downstream inflammatory byproducts cytokines their production almost stops is a very promising uh,
0: approach to treatment. That does sound exciting to to block the downstream cytokines because isn't that what's really kind of adding fuel to the fire and bringing more inflammatory cells to the region? So if we could stop that, we could stop the the recruitment and the ongoing inflammation. Exactly.
1: So the cytokines calling macrophages in the expression of adhesion molecules to make the vessel wall sticky. If you could stop the beginning of this cascade in LPPLA-2, and an oxidized LDL particle are right at the beginning of this cascade. We can blunt that process.
0: Are you seeing elevated levels of LPPLA-2 in other conditions, such as rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, or, or not, not so much?
1: No, there's a couple elegant studies. Uh, one of lupus patients, and then they went on and, and did coronary angiography. Those people with coronary atherosclerosis and lupus had a high PLA-2. Those people with lupus but no coronary artery pathology did not have elevated PLA-2. So it's it's independent of these other things. It's not like systemic markers of inflammation, all of which would be elevated in a lupus patient.
0: All right, let's say some of the docs listening to the show now decide, you know what, this plaque test is uh, really state-of-the-art. It's something I want to start doing. How do they kind of interpret the results? What, What kind of results should they expect?
1: The cut point's easy to remember. It's 200, just like total cholesterol. What we're recommending is that this not be used for widespread screening, but if somebody has a couple of risk factors if they have metabolic syndrome, or if they have prehypertension or worse, they should get this test once. If it's elevated, this is no longer an intermediate risk person. This person's now at high risk because this marker doesn't go up until you've got advanced atherosclerotic rupture-prone plaque. So move the patient from the intermediate risk category to the high risk category. Drop their LDL target to at least 100. And I recheck it every three months until until it's well below 200.
0: So you can recheck it.
1: Yeah, that's the other nice thing, because it's not affected by systemic inflammation triggers. It's very stable over time.
0: It doesn't matter what time of day you check it. You don't have to be fasting. Correct. Thank you. This is like the hemoglobin A1c
1: of inflammation. It's very stable. You can check it any time.
0: All right, so the million-dollar question is, who covers the test? Are we going to affect our patients' pocketbooks or are the insurance companies on board yet?
1: Most of the insurance companies are, but all of them aren't. So I I tell people, whatever lab you use, go talk to your lab rep, because labs have wildly varying prices. Some labs, like my local lab here, charges $45 for this test. Some other labs I know charge $200. The good news is Medicare covers it and Medicaid covers it.
0: Well, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Rick Landman. He is the Chief Medical Officer of Diadexis Inc. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening.